Hello, and welcome back to It's a Very Exciting Time, a podcast by a UFO nerd and its tolerant friend. My name is Scott, and I've been fascinated by the phenomenon my whole life. And my name is Chuck. I'm an aerospace nerd and a tolerant friend. We started this podcast because since 2017, there have been shocking revelations from news of secret Pentagon programs to confirmed Navy videos of astonishing craft. In a nutshell, now that the government has admitted that UFOs are real, <clears throat> or at least that the videos were authentic, <laughs> it raises a natural question. If UFOs are real, what else? Suddenly, some of these other parts of the phenomenon that seemed unlikely are pulled into the realm of the possible. Right? They may still be unlikely, but there's so many explanations for these stories. Even if the truth is more mundane than you're hoping, if any of it turns out to be true, it's a very exciting time. Uh, thinking about this episode for a while now, uh, yeah? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wet your whistle. I'm just gonna okay, because we're actually about to start talking about current events. But okay, once we're done with current events, buddy, we're well. Okay, let me rewind. It will surprise no one to learn <laughs> that Chuck and I co DM a D and D game. Yeah, no, no <laughs> one is surprised at all. <laughs> right, and the players in our D and D game are all computer programmers like us. Mm. And it will probably surprise no one to learn that we have had to institute a house rule amongst ourselves that time travel will not be used as a plot device in our D&D games. Because and if there's one thing again. you don't want to do, it's get a collection of nerds around a table and try oh, to get yeah. them to tell a story instead of arguing about time travel. I mean, unless you want to kill an evening, which is very good at it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, today we're going to talk about time travel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I, yeah, great. I've got my uh, my whistle drying towel right here. Uh, so let's go. <laughs> Ready to go. All right. So before we get into it, uh, we got a little bit of current events. Uh, I talked about this last time. Like, it's a very good sign that things are yeah. continuing to happen. Uh, the okay. short version is... Congress continues to be really weird about the balloons, mm. but also about UFOs. Um, okay. Uh, up How first, so? uh, John Greenwald of the Black Vault filed a Freedom of Information request for a copy of all visual imagery captured from the shootdown of balloons and UAPs, and that all photos, videos, cockpit footage, personal cell phone photos or videos taken by the pilots be included i love that he okay, knew wait. to ask for personal cell phone videos and photos yeah right very clever uh our audience can't tell the number of times you put scare quotes around things uh when you were saying that but i think it's important <laughs> to, to mention that that was just a long string of scare quotes um yeah yeah that, that was all me quoting from his foia request oh, okay, uh but right. and you know and this is uh, the i'll, I'll save from... you a bit of drama here yeah, this is the guy yeah, that was doing the FOIA on uh, that we talked about last week or last session, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, cool. the Black Vault is the like FOIA central. Like all they do is okay. file freedom of information requests. Yeah, for what a cool job. Um, I wonder. If... <laughs> it's yeah. pretty interesting, right? Uh, anyway, it will not surprise you at all to learn that the U.S. Air Force responded that no, everything you asked for is classified. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Which, of course on. they did, right? Yeah. Uh, but but did the Navy it, give anything? <laughs> no. 
but what's weird about this is, and Ross Coltart, the Australian journalist that I love, mm, noted yeah. this FOIA refusal is pretty significant because if, as the government continues to claim, they're just mundane balloons, why all the secrecy? Mm. Um, now, the kind of traditional answer here, whenever you ask about, well, why don't they release Video X, is, oh, showing any photos or videos yeah, would compromise right. national security by letting our enemies know about the the characteristics capabilities and capabilities. And, yeah, 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 of all of Really, our it's just, okay. we don't answer to you. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? It it smacks a little bit of hypocrisy, given that yeah. they're happy to release photos and videos when it suits their purpose. They released yeah. the selfie of the U-2 pilot flying right. over the Chinese balloon. And they released, I don't know if you saw this, uh, there was footage of a drone in the Middle East, or I don't actually know where it was, I shouldn't say that. Okay. Anyway, there was a U.S. drone that was clipped by a Russian fighter pilot. Oh, and, yeah, I heard a little bit about that. Yeah, so they released footage of this, and you can see the Russian fighter swooping in, dumping fuel all over it, and clipping the propeller, and then the drone goes down. Um, yeah. So clearly they're capable of releasing photos and videos and information when it suits them. They're capable of doing this in a way that doesn't compromise national security. So why all the pushback here? If yeah. if this stuff really is mundane and we you clearly are capable of releasing stuff when you want to, why not here? Um, yeah. Now we've talked before. I suspect the answer is probably less to do with, oh, it's actually an alien craft and more to do with uh, we're embarrassed that we shot a quarter of a million yeah. dollar missile at a hobby balloon and missed it yeah. in the video. You can clearly see, you know, it's, it says like University of Connecticut on the side. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or it's just like used car sales balloon or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a big gorilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wavy arms guy that just got loose. Yeah. 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 So anyway, you know, Ross Coltart kind of hitting the nail on the head here. If they're just mundane balloons, why the secrecy? It doesn't really add. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, like I said, Congress keeps being really weird about this. Now, I want to hammer on this point a little bit because, as you know, also having grown up in the 90s, yeah, the UFO topic is traditionally one that politicians are not eager to engage with. Yeah. And if given an opportunity to distance from it, I am constantly shocked when they choose not to. And what we are seeing over and over again is this topic of the Chinese spy balloon and the possibly related three follow-up things they shot down and the release of the knowledge that there have been other things in our airspace dating back to at least the Trump administration that we had mm -hmm. fine-tuned our radars to ignore. Yeah, you know, like I understand why that's a story. I understand why, especially the Republicans, would be seizing on any opportunity to make the current administration look inept. Yeah. What I am constantly surprised by is they, the Congress people, are the ones who keep tying it back to UAP explicitly. They're not yeah. talking about why did you shoot down a hobby balloon? They're not talking about why are you allowing these things to invade? Well, they, they are talking about that, but they are talking about that yeah. in the broader context of UAP. And they keep talking about the briefings they have received and they keep referencing 
the number of unknown objects reported in the UAP task force report. Like they're the ones that keep bringing this up and it's weirding me out because they could very easily talk about the political issues around the Chinese spy balloon, the failures of our uh, surveillance apparatus and the three following shoot downs of apparently hobby balloons without bringing UFOs into it at all, right? Yeah. That would be the easiest thing in the world. And they're not doing that. I don't get it. Um, yeah. So uh, we've got a few quotes here. Uh, lawmakers are saying that the administration has not made clear to Congress why it suddenly decided to start downing UAPs. Uh, hmm. Senator Mark Warner said he was not surprised that China used a balloon to spy on America. What was frustrating, right. he said, was that when it came to the Chinese spy balloon, it appeared that we didn't have, at that point, a clear policy on what to do. This is the kind of stuff I would expect to be hearing them railing on. Um, yeah. And journalists and lawmakers have pressed the administration for answers. Why did this particular Chinese balloon require a public response? We have never shot down an unidentified object in the history of the country. Hmm. What was different about this one? Especially right. if, looking back at it, there have been others before it, even if maybe they weren't aware of it. So right. that's weird. And yeah. these discussions keep coming back to UAP and Arrow and the latest report. Um, yeah. Now, here's the reason I'm talking about this, because there wasn't actually any news on that front. Okay. The reason I'm talking about it is uh, at the bottom of a political article, Politico article about okay. this, uh, there is a single throwaway sentence which lit the UFO community on fire. Lawmakers okay. are actively pushing for more information from the administration. The Senate plans to hold a public hearing on the topic in April. Oh, Whoa. okay. Hey, Another okay. UAP public hearing. Now, we've been hearing rumors that this might happen, but this is the first kind of official confirmation. And then it yeah. got confirmed again. Representative Tim Burchett, uh, in two different interviews, said he has spoken to Speaker McCarthy, who gave him his... McCarthy gave... Sorry. There's a quote from Tim Burchett. McCarthy gave me his word that we're going to have a hearing. So we're going to ask some tough questions. So anyway... Like I said, I don't have a lot of like news, except that okay. it is weird that this topic continues to refuse to die. And yeah, right. the only way it makes sense to me is if the Congress knows something that we don't. They yeah. have been in these classified briefings over and over, and they're the ones who keep tying it back to UAP. There's a weird story that I haven't really gone into about Representative Tim Burchett and... Um, uh, Marco Rubio, uh, going to an airbase in Florida to receive a briefing on UAP, and they showed up and the Air Force tried to snowball them, tried to give hmm. them a briefing on something unrelated to it. And they were like, no, you're going to give us the briefing that we came here for. And they said, no, we don't have to do that. <laughs> and the thing to remember is the Republicans are in charge of the House right yeah. now. And it right. would be very easy for them to take funding. And Rubio called McCarthy and McCarthy basically got on the phone with him and said, give him the briefing. And they wow. received a briefing where <laughs> this was the quote. He said a pilot came in and was telling them about a UAP encounter. 
<laughs> and at one point, he apparently said something he wasn't supposed to say because oh. Representative Burchett says he leans over to Rubio. He says, look at the spook. He's getting nervous. <laughs> There's uh, a CIA guy <laughs> sitting on the side. Yeah. His face is going red. Like, clearly yeah. this pilot just crossed a line he wasn't supposed yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, Now that's all I feel like I can't, you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, so I have two questions. First one, is this briefing going to be on April 1st? Because if so, I'm very disappointed. Oh my god, right. I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, okay. Second, I feel like we need to get bingo cards with all the UAP uh, <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, Congress people um, mm-hmm. and senators. Uh, and just like, I don't know. Or, or maybe yeah. it's not just Congress, but also like... Uh, Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. hashtag ufo daddy and um yeah like yeah i feel like that could i don't I know i just that's a great idea yeah i imagine UFO us doing episodes of the week, and like it, oh i got a full bingo point, this week it's like, bingo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. i love that i love that we okay, should definitely I'll work on that all right. So anyway, that's the news. Um continued yeah. congressional weirdness and apparently public hearings explicitly on the topic of UAP coming cool. in April, coming real real soon. So, yeah. fingers crossed, man. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Cuz the other thing, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but we continue to hear that people are testifying. The whistleblower protection is working. People are testifying both to Arrow and to Congress. So, yeah. They're definitely hearing from people. Yeah. We just it's maddening to not have the leaks. I know for you you wouldn't <laughs> want to you, I think you said you wouldn't want to be in that room if you couldn't talk about it. Me, I would. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would. Granted, I would be arrested within like three weeks. Uh, I've got a very loose tongue, but, uh, but yeah, I would want to be there. Yeah, I get that. I I don't blame anyone. I just I I think the difference between you and me is I I feel the same way. I also would be blabbing within 10 minutes. And as a result, I don't trust myself to go in. Whereas you're like, no, fuck it. Let me in under false pretenses. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, that's that's probably my ADHD impulsivity. Yeah. (laughs) Shining through. All right. So, Chuck, we're going to get to our main topic today. So. Here's the thing, right? And I've, I've kind of mentioned this before. There's there's kind of a scale, a sliding scale of weirdness in UFOs, okay. right? Yeah. Where, yeah. like, point one is UFOs exist. There are unidentified craft in the sky. And, okay. like, notch two is maybe like, okay, and there is some non-human intelligence piloting those craft. And, okay. you know, all the way up to, um, you know, Bigfoot and parallel dimensions and okay. stuff like that. Um, yeah. Time travel, for me, is one of those ones that resides a little further down the scale. It's not something I would okay. have thought I would be bringing to you because I think on this show we have a tendency to hang out on the shallower side of that scale. Sure, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, okay, if UFOs are real, what else? But we're kind of taking that first step. So is this like a 6 out of 10 or a 4 out of Like, where are you at on that? Well, here's the thing. The reason we're going to talk about it today is why I think it has slid a little more probable 
Um, so oh. maybe before okay. I would have considered this like an eight or a nine. And now I'm okay. kind of like, I don't know, maybe like a four or a five. Mm. Like there's a little bit of meat on this bone. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and, and we'll talk about some other stuff on the weirdness scale later. Like we'll talk about ancient yeah. apocalypses and ancient aliens. And, <laughs> okay. And I don't think Good. we'll get to hollow earth theory, but like there's some weird okay. hollow earth right. theory is clearly bogus, but uh, hollow moon theory is really interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did you know they sure. set off uh, blasts on the moon and use seismographs to record it? And it sounded like the moon was hollow. Like the, the seismic blast echoed across yeah. in a way that implied that it was not a solid object. Okay, but it sounded like it to whom? Was this like the analysis the of someone who... Well, no, the no, no, the astronauts. Maybe. I know, okay. I know. It's a 70s okay. experiment. I'm not putting stock in it. I'm just saying like, there's some weird okay. stuff about the moon. But uh, but we're not going there today. Okay, all right, right? all right, all right. Next time or something. <laughs> This is in the future. <laughs> Apparently, my whole goal on this podcast is to coax you into the swimming pool and gradually uh -huh. pull you out into the deep end with me. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about oh. the really weird stuff, Chuck. Yeah. Every time we read our like intro, I'm like, oh, this is like, this is this is clearly from when Scott was still pulling me in, and I'm like in here now, and this feels weird. Uh, but uh, whatever. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so today we're going to talk about time travel, and in particular, the theory that the occupants of the UFOs are not extraterrestrials from Zeta Reticuli or whatever, but are in fact our descendants. They are humans hmm. from the future who have developed time travel and come back in time for do they, reasons. Could, do they have to be our descendants, or could they also be our predecessors? Well, that's a fascinating question. Uh, I think it's easier to imagine our descendants having more advanced okay. technology than our predecessors, but I don't know. Yeah, when you add time maybe. travel, <laughs> anything's on. Yeah, the who knows, right? Right. Okay. Um, so anyway, part of the reason that I'm I've been thinking about this, um, and we'll we'll talk about some of the uh, quote unquote evidence for this. And mm -hmm. and and by the way, you know the usual caveat here, like. I get that I'm pulling you a little into the deeper end of the pool here. No, I, I don't expect you to believe everything, but I, you know, there's there's more to it than you might think, and that's why I want to share it with you. You you may be surprised on this one. Uh, I think there's some like solid physics based stuff going on right now. Ooh, like the excellent. the physics world is currently talking a lot about uh, like whether time is even real. Um, oh, good. Okay. I'm so, glad you yeah. know a little bit about this because the science about it is the part I'm a little weak on. I've got some quotes, but maybe you can. Uh, okay, cool. Oh, hey, great. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the reasons I've been thinking about this is I was thinking the other day about disclosure with a capital sure. D, right? Like the <laughs> government comes out and says, yeah. there are aliens. They're from right. Data Reticuli and they've been harvesting our cattle for years or whatever, right? Like, the the press release the president yeah. stands up and says this is the situation okay the thing you always hear whenever you're talking to somebody who is in theory in a position of power and knows the truth is why wouldn't you tell the public and the answer we get is usually some variation of they're worried that the public can't handle it they're worried it would cause a mass panic sure. they're worried it would yeah. break society and i haven't understood that because 
if there is a single idea that I think our culture is well prepared for, it's the idea that there are aliens. <laughs> like, would it be a big deal? Absolutely. Hmm. Would it cause some upheaval? Absolutely. Would our civilization come crumbling to the ground? No. In fact, I think a lot of the people I know would be like, huh, that's weird. But you still have a day job. You still have to pay your bills. Like, <laughs> it's not going to change your day-to-day -day reality that there are aliens. Like, unless something big changes about our society. All right, like, fair. Okay, I mean, this is a thing I can take in. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, that's like AI, like wildly increasing in power recently. It's like, yeah, well, that's that's pretty amazing. This is going to be fascinating to watch, but I still got shit to do. I got taxes to file. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Right. And and don't get me wrong. There will be people who are obsessed with it. There will be people who will oh, be, yeah. you know, unable to move on. Individuals right. may break, but society as a whole, I suspect, will barely even rock on its. I, I lost my metaphor here. Uh, I, I think it'll be <laughs> rock on its metaphor. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so the question is, if if they think that we can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And the actual idea of there being aliens isn't that epistemologically upsetting, then what could it be? And one of the things we've heard is that it's not the fact that there are aliens that is upsetting. It is some of the implications of that. So, for example, Tom DeLonge has said that uh, the aliens are every, like, god that humankind has ever worshipped in the past was actually advanced beings from space. Um, other people have said uh, that, there's that totally a treaty. Makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, there's a treaty between the U.S. government and the extraterrestrials that they are allowed to abduct a certain number of human citizens in exchange for advanced technology. Things like that. Yeah. So I can see us doing it's, that. In that ex scenario, it's not the news of the aliens that's going to break culture. It's the yeah. government did what? It's, wait, yeah. all of our religions are fake? Like, all of that mm. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, now, I still don't think that's it. But one of the other possibilities here that people have mentioned is the idea that the reason they're not telling us is they're not aliens at all. They are humans from the future who have come back to prevent a cataclysm. Oh, it's cataclysm. Okay. Interesting. Is an interesting idea, right? Okay, they're here because they know we blow ourselves up. Hmm. Sharing that could destabilize to say. I could I could understand the output of that being something that kind of needs to be controlled. So I mean if it's dig us though. If it's us though, what's the likelihood that the aliens or the time travelers would actually just be rich idiots coming back to like <laughs> like sightsee and like so right, yeah some right. of them crash their ships and i don't know seems much we're actually going to talk about that oh, so, okay <laughs> moving forward there's a few things that i need us to kind of accept as a given and i understand that not all of these <laughs> are a given okay. but for the purposes okay. of our discussion today so first ufos exist and they are not created or piloted by a present-day human civilization, right? Okay. It's not an American black ops project. Sure. It's not China. It's yeah. genuinely something other. Uh, okay. Second, and we've demonstrated this one fairly well, 
UFOs seem to be concerned with particularly nuclear and environmental crises. We see them a lot around nuclear facilities. There is evidence that they have shut down nuclear missiles before. They seem mm. to be very concerned with our use of nukes. The I'm evidence sort of for them less being concerned... convinced on that, but like sure. I can accept it for a bit. There is an excellent book called UFOs and Nukes that I do recommend to you, yeah. but I, granted, I haven't done an excellent job of laying the groundwork there. No, no. Um, the environmental crisis is a little bit more of a stretch because now we're getting into messages received by humans from aliens. And that is another bridge that we haven't necessarily crossed a lot. The idea of what abductees have learned from the aliens. And one of the things that we see consistently through reports is aliens showing a vision of the future where the planet is wrecked. And hmm. it's unclear what caused the wreckage, but like, you know, uh, climate crisis, nuclear war, yeah. all of the above, whatever. The um, normal, yeah. Point number three, the occupants of the crafts are usually described as humanoid. So we've got the classic gray alien. Yeah. Um, there are also some other ones like mantis aliens or reptilians, but all of them basically follow a humanoid body plan, right? Bilateral sure. symmetry, two arms, two legs, one head, yeah. two eyes, that kind of stuff, um, which is a little weird, right? You'd expect aliens in a different place to have evolved totally differently. Even if yep. reptilians and mantis people are different from humans, even just those commonalities are unusual and unexpected. Yeah. Um, and lastly, and this is the biggest leap, because again, we haven't talked a lot about abductees. Abductees regularly report that the aliens, the reason they are being abducted is because the aliens are running some sort of genetic experimentation. They are taking mm. samples from humans, they sure. are running tests, and they are even creating hybrid children. Sure. That's a big leap. I get it. I'm not asking you to accept that no. as a given, but for the purposes of today, that kind of frames our problem. So honestly, given that, the idea of the three, that makes the most sense to me. Like we do that all the time with like coral species and like, sure, of course, sure. you got to extract that DNA, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, so one of the big things that people say is like, OK, but that doesn't really make any sense. Like with today's technology, we can extract genetic information from like a strand of hair. Like you don't have yeah. to abduct someone and like. Right have sex with them in a weirdly lit room like <laughs> you can yeah. just like take a sample <laughs> we can do better uh yeah 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 yeah. so there's still an aspect of weirdness here and i'm not asking yeah. anyone to believe me that this is the reality but for the purposes of today's discussion ufos okay. exist they are not present-day humans they seem concerned with our future they are humanoid and they seem to be doing something involving genetics all right. That's I'm... a weird picture to paint in any circumstances, but especially for an extraterrestrial civilization. And one of the things that people have said is some of this stuff makes a little more sense if they're actually us. Like, mm. why would a species that arose around a different star be genetically compatible with us at all? You would not expect to be able to create hybrid children between a truly extraterrestrial oh. civilization and us. 
Um, why would they look like us? Why would they be interested in us at all? Not to mention, right. while scientists are very bullish on the idea that life does exist somewhere, right? The, the universe is sure. effectively infinite, given a right. large enough scale of planets and time, the conditions that you know, you roll the dice enough times, yeah, the conditions yeah, yeah. are gonna be right in multiple places. Yeah. But the idea that it would arise at exactly the right time for them to be just a little bit more advanced than us, be close enough to us to visit, have the technology and the willpower to be able to visit, like that's a leap. Um, yeah. On so the other there hand, are some if they're feel... just us from the future, sure. Um do they do people talk about how far in the future? That's a great question. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but it's kind of a moot point, um, okay. right? Like, if if you accept that we develop time travel at some point in the future, they, it's, kinda... it makes sense that they would come back to here, especially if there's some sort of cataclysm in the near future. They're they're coming back to the period before the cataclysm. But okay, so yeah, that the 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 point is that for some people there are some big logical leaps that you're being asked to make to accept mm -hmm. the extraterrestrial hypothesis that time travel does away with a lot of the objections at the cost yeah. of having to invent time travel. Um, but, yeah, you right. know, <laughs> small, small challenge. <laughs> small challenge. But it's at least, it's one logical leap as opposed yeah. to all of the logical leaps. Um, yeah, all right. So if they are future humans, why would they be here? And there's basically three lines of thoughts here. One is what I like to think of as the History Channel hypothesis. They're studying us. They're anthropologists. They're coming back in time. Maybe they're tourists. But, you know, you have a time machine. You're going to go back and look at what stuff was like in the future. They're not Absolutely. here to do anything. They're not here to change anything. They're just here observing. Is this uh, the point when we insert the plug for your new uh, History Channel D and D uh, campaign? <laughs> no, oh, sorry, <laughs> that's not done yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wrong audience, anyway. Oh yeah, sorry. Like right. half the audience of this podcast is in my D and D group already. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jen. <Yeah. laughs> <Hey. laughs> um, so one possibility is they're here studying. Uh, another possibility is they're here to save us, right? There's some sort of cataclysm in our future. They're trying to prevent it. Um, another possibility is they're here to save themselves. And this mm -hmm. one comes from the idea of they survived the cataclysm, but they have somehow ended up in a genetically impoverished state. That and totally if makes you sense. end up in that place, where better to introduce some genetic diversity than your own ancestors? Sure. Yeah. Uh, kind of. But yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> and like that one feels the most likely to me, because if there was a cataclysm, then how did they get from cataclysm to inventing time travel? Uh, like mm -hmm. that's that's a big couldn't have been that bad of a cataclysm um, that they'd want to rewrite time. On the other hand, the idea that we continue to fuck things up. <laughs> Throughout sure. throughout time, yeah. That that. So I I will say, and and this is getting purely into hypothetical territory. As yeah. I've understood it, the idea is, take what's happening today, project it forward ten to a hundred years, right? 
the yeah. climate crisis has kept getting worse. And we keep yep. hearing from the environmental scientists that, hey, there's a tipping point. It's not like yeah. the planet just keeps getting hotter and hotter and we just mm. deal with it. There comes a point where our ecosystems collapse. We can't grow crops. Right. Uh, the, the fish we depend on uh, die out and that kills the entire marine ecosystem. And, you know, right. So it's easy for me to imagine a world where it's not that humanity is wiped out, but you could still have a world where billions of people die and the survivors have channeled a lot of resources into yeah. the science that will help keep us alive. And if you right. then imagine that time travel comes up as part of that. All right. Know. Yeah. So, Fair. Okay. So maybe yeah. the cataclysm is looming uh, or mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair. Or it's already passed, and now humanity is in an untenable state, and they need something from the past. Or maybe yeah. it was just so bad that they've made a decision to go back and change the past, even yeah. at the cost of eliminating themselves, which right. is something else we'll get into. So, okay. anyway, I got a lot of quotes from a lot of really interesting people that I want to get into okay. that kind of, like, support and explain these ones. But before I go cool. forward, like, I've kind of laid out the, the premise, like... What do you think? Any any reactions? Any questions? Uh, I mean, uh, well, actually, you did. You said there were three possible options, and mm -hmm. I think I only heard they're two. They're studying us. They're here to save us, or they're here to save themselves. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Um, and it could be yeah. all the three. Right. Yeah. Of course. Um, I mean, yeah. I I think I've already said it. It definitely smacks a very human uh to like continue yeah. continue to mess things up and then like right. uh let's just rebase um yeah yeah so well it, it also gets past another problem which i've never heard anyone mention which is i've heard a lot of people mention the idea that biologically they would be different from us if they evolved yeah. in different contexts sure. there's no reason to expect they would look or behave like us but the thing I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is there's no reason to think they would think like us. It right. seems to be pretty well accepted that dolphins and octopi are very intelligent. Maybe not human-level intelligent, but certainly more than, like, a dog. Yeah. But we can't interact with them the way that we can with each other. Like, we have taught mm. gorillas sign language, and you can talk to a gorilla... Kind of like you would talk to a child, like like there is an intelligence yeah. there that works in the same way that our brains work. There is yeah. no reason to expect that an octopus, if we were able to learn its language, is going to relate to us and be able to talk right. to us using any of the same concepts or ideas. And yeah. that's another creature that has evolved here on our planet. Take that to an extreme. There's no reason to think that an alien civilization that comes here has any motivations that make any sense to us. Yeah, but right. these motivations make a lot of sense, which yeah. in a weird way kind of pushes back to me the idea that like, yeah, it makes sense if they were humans, that they would behave in a way that we understand as humans. Whereas mm -hmm. if they're from Zeta Reticuli, there's no reason to think that they would think along the same terms as we do of like, oh, we have a moral obligation to get involved and help these people save themselves from, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, right. we, we are, we're anthropomorphizing at that point. 
yeah that that one is very much like the star trek episode where they're like Mm -hmm. uh hidden on a cliff observing the the alien species um right like uh, yeah um i mean both of them are feel pretty pretty far-fetched to me but uh i don't know the i guess the the main thing i think about with the the alien future is that there should be a lot more of them given our population growth sure um, and our, our capabilities, there should be, you know, uh, trillions or quint- quintillions of humans in the future, mm-hmm. in the fairly near future. Yeah. Um, so, like, why do we see so few? Um, well, presumably they're not all time travel apes, but yeah, I, I, I hear okay. your point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. So. Let's let's get down to the meat of this. Why do I think this is interesting? So far, this has just been philosophy, right? Like, hmm. wouldn't it make sense if X, Y, and Z? So let's talk about sure. the people who have actually put a little bit of meat on this bone. And the first person who always comes up when you talk about this is a biological anthropologist named Dr. Michael Masters. Um, now, he has written two books on this subject. Uh, the first one was called Identified Flying Objects, and the second one was called The extra-tempestrial model. Um, so as opposed to extra-terrestrial, meaning uh, tear in there is uh, Earth. Yeah. So not people from Earth. Extra-tempestrial means tempestrial. people not from our time. Um, okay. So he was interviewed recently, and he gave the kind of TLDR of his thing. He says the extra-tempestrial model is just the simple idea that rather than being extraterrestrial in nature, these visitors may in fact be us from the future coming back through time to visit and study their own evolutionary past. Um, He started thinking of this being a uh, biological anthropologist. He said, I noticed early on glaring homologies and synomorphies, forgive Mm -hmm. me if I'm butchering those words, evolutionary biologists, uh, between <laughs> this other, and in this case, he's referring to the classic gray alien, um, okay, yeah. between this other and ourselves, and especially in the context of our evolutionary past and how we got to be here and these dominant trends that have occurred throughout the last six to eight million years through evolution. Probably the most important one is bipedalism, walking upright. This mm-hmm. actually That's is weird. the trait that defines the hominin lineage. We stood upright between six to eight million years ago. It ushered in all these other changes. Our heads had to rotate down so we could see where we were going. So our visual plane was in line with the horizon. That flexed our basic cranium, which allowed more space within the skull where a larger brain could grow. But also, more importantly, it freed up our hands so we could use our hands to further the brain by making tools. Then that relaxed selective pressures for the chewing apparatus, because we could cut and cook our food once we invented fire about 1.8 million years ago. So basically, our faces started to get out of the way of our expanding brain. And most recently, we've become globular, what's called neurocranial globularity, where our brains expand mediolaterally. Mm. And that's one of the most dominant things described in these close encounters, is that you have these archetypical grays these long-term evolutionary trends, we can see how these same characteristics of our past, if projected into the future, there's no reason to think they would stop 
if they've dominated for millions and millions of years of human evolution. We would have sure. bigger heads, rounder, bigger eyes, rounder heads, smaller faces, more advanced technology, but still retain all these characteristics that tie us to the evolution of all animals on this planet, such as being tetrapods, having four limbs, pentadactyly, meaning having five digits on each limb. And that's also something that is described in these close encounters. So if we look at the physiological form and the technology and the craft themselves, a lot of things do seem to indicate that it's us using time travel technology to come back as opposed to extraterrestrials from somewhere else. Hmm. So that's kind of the, okay. the biological statement around it. I found that really fascinating. Um, what do you think? Um, I've been I've been fixated on trying to figure out how to pronounce this. Um, seems like it's... <laughs> so I lost you in the first sentence. <laughs> yeah, one sentence in. I mean, it's fine. We're going to come back and like, this is what time travel is for, right? Uh, uh, but it, I think apomorphy is a thing. And this is synapomorphy or something like that. Uh, okay. It could be. I got this from a transcription of a YouTube video. So I might have oh, yeah. it even worse. Okay. You're, you're hearing oh, yeah, it like sure. fourth generation at this point. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's what we talked about, though. Like, um, it makes it does make more sense that uh, that mm -hmm. all of these like things would come from a um, they're a little bit too convenient um, and it, it smacks exactly. of the like yeah. uh, we needed aliens that uh, our extras could fit into the suits of uh, and it's like, <laughs> yeah it, it makes literally no sense that aliens would be at all like us would be bipedal e mm -hmm. even with the like i just watched a video last night about what is the right number of legs to have and uh <laughs> And it was all about like, oh, let's look through all of the animal species and figure out which which is the like optimal number of legs. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and it's just, like, there's no reason we should have. Mm -hmm. They should be bipedal. Um, mm -hmm. Like, well, it's funny because our planet favors bilateral symmetry, which means yeah. you tend to end up with an even number of legs. It might not be two, it might not be four, yeah, it might not right. be six, but like, it tends to be yeah. an even number. And I love science fiction where they pick a planet where everything evolved with trilateral symmetry. So you've got three legs, three yeah. arms, three eyes. And like just that one change is so wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, like even the, the concept of like, why would it be bilateral? Why do that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Makes sense to be other. Anyways. So yeah, I think yeah. it makes sense. So that's kind of the root of what Dr. Michael Masters says is look, Speaking as a evolutionary biologist, sorry, as a biological anthropologist, it really stretches credulity to think yeah. that an alien species would show up and would happen to share all of these very right. particular biological traits that yeah. look like us. And it's pretty easy to look at the trend line of how humans have developed and say, at some point, we might be heading in a direction something like the greys yeah. i don't 100 percent like agree that we're going to evolve into the greys but i agree with him that it makes more sense than the coincidence of another species show yeah. now skeptics yeah. corner here uh there is a thing called 
convergent evolution. And there's another yeah, thing called. All right. Uh, I always mispronounce it. Carcinerization. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Everything's turning into the crap. tendency for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I will just say there are a handful of examples on our own planet of certain evolutionary pressures tend to produce a certain body plan. And if we assume that life requires certain evolutionary pressures, it's not outrageous to think that an alien could evolve following the same kind of body plan that we have. Yeah. But it does presuppose they have effectively the same environmental pressures as us. So I I tend to agree with Dr. Michael Masters here, but I did want to point out the skeptics case. Convergent evolution is a thing. Carcinization is. is a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, I feel like uh, carcinization has... Um, I feel like that might have actually been disproven. Um, or Or like there was some debunking work done recently but uh but it it is it's a <laughs> it may be one of those things where like yeah if you look at enough data points sure everything is turning into everything else um so yeah given enough data points you can make anything make a conclusion from anything um totally. but it is a fun theory all right so the other thing that dr michael masters talks about is time travel itself so that was him from a biological anthropologist standpoint let's talk about the time travel so his basic argument is it makes a lot more sense than a whole series of coincidences that you need in order to get aliens here the extraterrestrial okay. model he also he has a, a lovely little bit of snark in here he says the extraterrestrial model and by the way it's not falsifiable so it's not a hypothesis yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> everyone says the extraterrestrial hypothesis. He's like, let's get one thing straight. <laughs> yeah. No, that's hilarious. I All love right. that. Yeah. Uh, the extraterrestrial model, this idea that they're coming from the stars, it's intuitive. It makes sense. For millennia, we've seen these craft descending in the sky. There's stars up there. We assume they come from a planet orbiting one of those stars. But when you start to think about the probability that you would have something so similar to ourselves evolve on another planet in the exact same way and at the same time. Because you have yeah. to remember, the universe is about 14.5 billion years old. So it's unlikely to get something so close that they could find us. And they just happen to be slightly more advanced than us. And at the time when they could find us concurrently, but with a slightly less advanced technology... They could have a different coding system, a different distance from their sun, different gravity. Mm -hmm. All of these factors would go into contributing to a different life form that looks absolutely nothing like us. So even outside of those stumbling blocks, a lot of people struggle with the time travel aspect. But most philosophers and physicists agree that when we understand time travel in the context of the block universe... I want to point out, I've never heard yeah, the term that? block universe before, but later it becomes clear that he is using this in contrast to the many worlds or multiverse or multiple timelines. So I assume he means block universe in the sense there is one universe and time travel therefore has to interact with our one hmm. timeline. Um, okay, I'll have to look this, this up. Is, uh, in the context of the block universe, everything is self-consistent. You don't have anything that changes in the past. Anything that you do, going back to the past, you will have already done. 
And when you get home, everything's the same as anything that you did in the past is what you were always going to do in the block universe. So a lot of people struggle with the mm. idea in the context of the multiverse or multiple timelines, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. There's currently no evidence for a multiverse. And as I said previously, most agree that we are in a block universe. Once you understand mm. in that context, these paradoxes seemingly disappear. Everything can just naturally be self-consistent and you don't have to worry about a change that will then have this butterfly effect. Um, right, so we'll talk about this a little more later when we get into the physics of time travel. But basically, his premise here is there is nothing in science that says traveling backwards in time is impossible. We don't know how to do it, but there, there's nothing about our understanding of space time that would prevent that other than not knowing how to do it. And there have been studies recently that have been showing this idea of self-consistency, that you can travel into the past, but you can't actually change it. Um, so he basically takes that as, I don't know how they're doing it, but if we are imagining these are humans from the future, they have somehow cracked the problem. There's nothing here that is inherently at odds with our understanding of physics as it exists today. Wouldn't that knock out the concept of uh, time travelers coming back to change events? Mm -hmm. And to be, be fair, Dr. Michael Masters does not suggest that they're doing that. He oh, okay. suggests that they are either here to study us or they yeah. are here because they are in a genetically impoverished state and they are trying to retrieve genetic material to sure. save themselves. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I definitely want to read more about the block universe concept. Um, Same. I yeah. I do think that there are, uh, I do think that there are things in in science that say uh, time travel isn't possible. But uh, but maybe those those are also models. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I have noticed that scientists have a tendency to say scientists agree on X as long as yeah. it suits what they personally believe, and they kind of disregard uh -huh. anyone who doesn't come along with them. Yeah, right, I'm not a physicist. I have not studied yeah, time either. travel other than as a science fiction buff, so I don't right. know for sure. But that's what Michael Masters is saying. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Now let's get to the interesting stuff, Chuck. Let's get okay. to the drama. Because Michael Masters, right. he's an academic, right? He's talking about, oh, you know, what if we evolved and, you know, there's mm -hmm. nothing that mm -hmm. says it mm -hmm. couldn't happen and yada, yada, yada. Let's get to the actual drama. Ross Coltart, who I have brought up many times on this podcast, an excellent Australian investigative journalist who has written what I think is kind of the definitive book on UFOs right now. Um, he has said in multiple interviews that according to several long-standing and previously reliable sources in the U.S. government and intelligence circles, UFOs are humans from the future. Huh. Now, in a podcast, someone asked him about this in the context of Lou Elizondo, someone else we've talked about before, at one point kind of famously remarked, someone asked him, like, how do you feel about what you know? And he said, somber. And everybody was like, what the fuck does that mean? Oh, God. Like, what do we have to be somber about? <laughs> like, so they asked Ross, like, what do you what do you think about this somber statement? And Ross okay. said, look, 
I wish I could tell you what I'm being told right now, but I don't think it would be responsible for me to talk about it until I've been able to verify it more. I have been told certain things about the phenomena that are quite disturbing. I mean, there are a lot of people privately claiming to me things about the implications of the phenomena that go far beyond the whole notion of... I mean, I wish it was as simple as extraterrestrials getting in their little spaceships and flying from Zeta Reticuli and coming to this planet. That's the easy explanation. The explanation that I've been exploring in recent months is more complex, and it involves the notion of future human time travel. And look, it's only hypothetical. I'm not saying it's real. But if what I'm being told about this is true, then yeah, I would be somber too. Why, since 1947... Has there been a phenomenon taking interest in the human race and particularly in nuclear weapons? Why is something or someone apparently trying to send a message to us about nuclear weapons? Why is it that nuclear weapons are being shut down? What is it trying to say? What is coming? Imagine if, and I'm only speaking hypothetically here, imagine if future humans knew that if we continue on the path we're going, there's going to be a nuclear war or conflagration of some kind. Wouldn't you want to head that off? Wouldn't you want to protect your kin? And imagine if you were someone in the U.S. defense and its intelligence establishment who was aware of this quite insane sounding idea that this might be a time thing, a future war thing. And imagine if you're worried that anything you do might jeopardize that time stream. Time stream. And in another interview, he said on the same topic, there is a real mood of apocalypse, officially. There is a fear that to make this public is to change a timeline. <laughs> this is an effort by a future civilization to stop a catastrophe. Whew. Let me tell you, buddy. Any other journalist says this shit, I'm like, okay, that guy's off his rocker. <laughs> Ross Coulthard is an extremely level-headed guy. He doesn't go yeah. around making absurd claims. Now, he's very careful to say he doesn't know this. This is just sure. what he is hearing from his sources. But he has made the point. He's hearing this from multiple independent sources, sources he has known for a long time, and sources who have previously given him verifiable, accurate information. Hmm. That's weird! <laughs> That's yeah, really weird. It is weird. I mean, it's one of the, I feel like that's one of the many things that, that could take out humanity pretty quick and easy. Um, like, mm -hmm. I keep thinking 2030 keeps creeping closer and closer, but in my in wow. my mind, that's a bookmark of like, that's that's a check-in, a go-no-go date. <laughs> like, like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening then. But like I feel like shit's gonna hit the fan somewhere around in there, yeah. and either we're gonna make uh, it past twenty thirty or we're not. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I feel like sure. Yeah, nuclear war. Yeah, that could absolutely be it. We're on t on Tinder hooks with both Russia and China right now. Like, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. sure, I buy it. Yeah, yeah. So who knows, right? But I I think it's really interesting that this ties into the thoughts I was having about disclosure. Why wouldn't you just tell people? Well, well if it, the problem is that it's not just weird non-human intelligences are here. It's that right. they're here to try to get us off a timeline, and we're genuinely not sure 
what actions we take will or won't get us off that timeline. Or frankly, even if that's possible, right? Like, who knows? I could totally imagine that if you're one of the handful of people that know this information, talk about decision paralysis, right? Like, what's the right decision? If I tell the public about it, is that going to accidentally trigger something? Like, yeah. Yeah, but like... That's one of those one I feel like that's a false dichotomy though, because uh it doesn't matter what you do. Um <laughs> that's true. That's true. Like it it has already happened. So you may as well follow your core values. Yeah. All right. So I've got one last interesting source. Yeah. Uh and this kind of echoes what Ross is hearing. Uh this guy's name is Frank Milburn. Uh he is a former UK defense intelligence officer and a shit ton of other stuff that I'm not gonna get okay. into. But basically a few years ago he got into the uap topic but the thing to understand is this is a guy with a lot of connections in the intelligence industry and when he came to the topic he did what you would expect him to do he started talking to the people he knows in the intelligence industry and he's hearing some weird weird shit Um, okay so i got this quote from him he says my sources who claim to be read in say grays and future humans who look like us are manipulating the various contemporary human factions, USA, Russia, China, sure. et cetera, to further their ends. That's what I'm being told. I can't prove this. He then goes on to describe that the two groups are one group from closer after whatever the event is, who still look like humans and are coming back trying to prevent it, right? Imagine the survivors of the Holocaust hmm. develop time travel technology sure fuck this, we're going back to stop this, right? Right. And the other group is from much further in the future, when humanity has changed into the grants. Oh, interesting. They are here to ensure the event exists because they want to exist. Changing the timeline Hmm. means they probably don't come about anymore. Um, So this is back to his quote. They come back to manipulate timelines to ensure certain outcomes. I'm told the Mandela effect is real. I'm told the information about this comes from these agents who have come back and also from analysis of retrieved craft. People I talk to say they have seen briefings to this effect. These are people I've vetted, people I know in the intel community. These are serious people and scientists, not some conspiracy kook on a forum. And interestingly, uh, Exo Academian, who's another podcaster who I highly recommend, mm-hmm. was able to confirm by talking to the two of them that their sources are different. Hmm. So it's not like there's one dude in the CIA who's telling this weird story and these guys both independently talk to him. They both have multiple sources and their sources are different from each other. Okay. So the <laughs> only commonality between these two is that they're both very interested in time travel and mm-hmm. uh could it just be their lens could be yeah 100 yeah. percent. i okay I've, I've told you before that the way that i tend to kind of approach this is kind of take in everything i can find and i start looking yeah. for the common threads the repeated threads yeah. the things that i'm hearing from a lot of different directions time travel is still borderline but it's starting to come at me from enough different directions that I'm starting mm. to think like this is at least worth thinking about, even if I'm not yeah. 100% sold on it. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I'm feeling like a little freaked out right now. Uh, this is like, <laughs> uh, 
This is weird. Having trouble coming up well, with this... like witticisms <laughs> or whatever. Like, that's like, right. that's this right. is crazy. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's shift direction a little bit. So my last yeah, kind right. of uh, section here in my notes is talking about the quote unquote science of time travel. Now, okay. there is no science of time travel in practice. <laughs> right. Like there there are no tests or theories or hypotheses. So frankly, a lot of the information you find about time travel is actually from philosophers. Uh, sure. But uh, there is a little bit, and y- you said you know a little bit about this too, so I'd love to hear from you. Um, but let me go over a couple things real fast. So first of all, okay. uh, there was an article recently, uh, what was it called? Uh, it was from NPR. It's called Paradox Free Time Travel is Theoretically Possible. Um, and they were quoting a paper from a set of research scientists at the University of Queensland um, who basically say paradoxes aren't a problem. So, and this is a quote, say you traveled in time in an attempt to stop COVID-19's patient zero from being exposed to the virus, says University of Queensland scientist Fabio Costa. He says, however, if you stopped that individual from becoming infected, that would eliminate the motivation for you to go back and stop the pandemic in the first place. This is a paradox, Mm. an inconsistency that often leads people to think that time travel cannot occur in our universe. Mm. But these researchers say that such a paradox would not necessarily exist because events would adjust themselves. Take the coronavirus patient zero example. Quote, you might try and stop patient zero from becoming infected, but in doing so, you would catch the virus and become patient zero or someone else would. In other words, a time traveler could make changes, but the original outcome would still find a way to happen. Maybe not the same way it happened in the first time timeline, but close enough so that the time traveler would still exist and still be motivated to go back in time. Basically, mm. Tobar says, no matter what you did, the salient events would just recalibrate around you. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a common philosophical argument about time travel. This idea sure. that And this gets back to the idea that there is one timeline. So we have to deal with the fact that if you change the timeline, you can create a grandfather paradox. You kill your own grandfather, you don't exist, therefore you don't kill your own grandfather. Or you travel back in time to change something, and then you succeed, and now you're not motivated to build the time machine, you don't travel back. You get stuck in this loop of the cause eliminates the cause, which eliminates the time traveler, which recreates the cause. Um, right. So there was a quote. I found this years ago. I had it bookmarked. I'm going to apologize to you guys. I tried to do a really good job of finding all my resources. I spent about an hour trying to track this down, and I am 80% sure it is from a philosophy paper called Bananas Enough for Time Travel, which is locked behind a paywall, and I could not find a copy. Um, all I could okay. find was other people reacting to it. But this okay. quote is my favorite quote about time travel. It says, uh, it seems inconsistent. It seems consistent to suppose that a time traveler can affect the past, but not change it. Perhaps I will invent a time machine tomorrow and race heroically back to 1865 to save President Lincoln from John Wilkes Booth. I might arrive at Ford's Theater and race up to Lincoln's box. I might even wrestle dramatically with Booth in the hallway, but we know in advance that I won't 
be successful because history tells us that Booth did shoot Lincoln that night. This way of looking at it entails no paradoxes. But it does create a problem. If time travel is possible, then presumably hundreds of well-intentioned time travelers converged on Lincoln's <laughs> box that night, all determined to save the president and all somehow slipping on banana peels at the wrong moment. This is yep. not impossible, but it seems terrifically unlikely, so much so that the very fact of Lincoln's death seems to imply that time travel is not possible. <laughs> hmm. Imply, yeah. I Okay, so I'm betting you're going to talk about this shortly, but I feel like these are all uh, people who have never played with Git and never got comfortable with rebasing. <laughs> Because to me, I would be going for that metaphor, but yes, <laughs> yeah, sure, most most people wouldn't. But to me, it just seems self-evident. Yes, you can go back in time, but it's going to create a new a new branch. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, so and I want like, to recommend a website. Other thing, yeah. Anybody yeah, who has on. made it this far in our conversation, <laughs> okay. I'm guessing you have more than a passing interest in yeah. debating time travel. There is an excellent website out there. This dates back Bring 20 it years. Uh, it's called Temporal Anomalies in Time Travel Movies. The guy's actually published a book. Uh, but basically what he did was he had his own theory of time travel, which he readily admits was based on a role-playing game, but a role-playing game that did a pretty good job of presenting kind of three theories of time travel. And mm. he breaks down science fiction movies about time travel based on whether they are internally consistent, whether they follow the rules and which of the theories they fall into. It's fascinating. Okay. I'm a super nerd. I love everything about this website. Okay. But he basically produces three theories. One of them is what he calls the end curve. So okay. time travel does exist and you can change the past. Okay. But it doesn't have to be consistent with the old timeline. So yeah, right. you grow up in a world, you travel back in time, you make a change, you now live forward in a new timeline that was created, yep. but the old timeline ended. So if you were to graph this, you see a single line going up, that is the old mm -hmm. timeline, then a diagonal line going down as you travel back in time, but create a new timeline, and then a new line going up from that point. So that's yeah. the N curve of time yeah, travel makes sense your to current me. timeline ends you make a new one in which the changes occurred uh, so that kind of gets to your your get rebasing here uh the other one is the bow tie and this is the paradox we were talking about you travel forward something motivates you to build a time machine you go back in time and change something you succeed but now nothing motivates you to build the time tra time machine you travel forward and we're stuck in a paradox, you end up back at point one. So you get this kind sure. of like bow tie thing where we're kind of stuck in an infinite loop. Yeah. Um, and then the one that he sticks to that I think makes the most sense, and the one that I stick to when I'm writing time travel stuff, is what he calls the sawtooth snap, which is basically the end curve, but over and over and over again. Like you're constantly mm. creating new timelines, and each one can be different. So maybe you grow up, you develop time travel, but it takes you a little longer. You're an old man when you figure it out. So you travel back in time and teach time travel to yourself as a younger man. So you develop it faster. Now you're on a different timeline, 
but you're still unsatisfied. You travel back. You know, it's like you can just keep yeah. creating timelines. Um, anyway, fascinating website, fascinating discussion. It's all philosophy and nerd shit. But uh, awesome. the, what it made me think of is, uh, are you familiar with the double slit experiment and the quantum Ugh. mechanics mini worlds hypothesis? Yeah, let's get into it. Shit's okay, wild. we're not going to get super into it because this is some crazy shit. But basically... Yeah. Uh, the double slit experiment is the experiment that kind of proved the idea that the observer affects what is happening. You yeah. shine photons at a piece of paper that has two slits cut in it, and when they come out on the other side, you develop an interference pattern because they kind of spray out in random directions. Some of them will cancel each other out, so you yeah. get this like wave front, just like ripples in the water. Yep. You know, some of them will collapse, some of them will merge. Um, what's fucked up about the double slit experiment is you can beam a single photon at a time and you still get an interference pattern, which makes yeah. no sense at all. And if you then observe the slit, if you set up a detector to figure out which slit the photon goes through, the interference pattern collapses. It goes away. Yep. And this experiment has been replicated over and over, over and, and over. over. And they are very, very confident, even though nobody can explain it, that we can say that observation affects the outcome of the experiment, which is absolutely buck wild. Um, yeah. But it leads to a bunch of different things. Uh, the, the Copenhagen interpretation is the one that most people understand, which basically boils down to... Um, uh, subatomic particles exist in a wave state until they observe, uh, until they are observed, at which point they collapse into particles. That does a great job of explaining the outcome. It does nothing to explain how conscious observation affects the physical properties of the universe, and frankly, leaves a lot of really terrifying questions in its wake. Right. Um, a scientist named Hugh Everett in 1957 proposed a theory that helps address this called the mini-worlds interpretation. It states, and I'm quoting here, uh, that the wave function is the true nature of reality, and therefore it never actually collapses. It only appears to collapse because we can only see one of a potentially infinite number of outcomes. When the observer looks to see which slit the photon goes through, they see just one possible outcome because they are only aware of one world. But in reality, there are many potentially infinite worlds in which every possible quantum reality gets a chance to play itself out. And every world is equally real to the people living it. So in the case of the double slit experiment, the simple answer is, does it go through the left or the right? It goes through both, but you are only in one collapsed probability of the universe so you see it go right, but there's another version of you who sees it go left. And this is also weirdly terrifying because everything is based on subatomic particles, which means we are ourselves part of quantum systems, which means this theory applies to every decision we as humans make. You decide yeah. to turn left when you go to the bank, there's another universe where you turn right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely yeah, wild. Sort of. But this has been the thing that a lot of time travel philosophers have kind of hung on to is the yeah. mini worlds hypothesis 
also does a pretty good job of explaining time travel in that if you travel back in time and change something, all that's really happened is you have created a new timeline. Yeah, right. Your original timeline still exists, so there's no uh, paradox in you right. killing your own grandfather because the timeline you came from, your grandfather existed. Yeah. It's just in this new timeline he doesn't. Yeah, so, right. Whew, yeah. That's the extent of my science on this. Uh, okay. Yeah, time travel is weird. The, the nut of it is, as far as I understand, there is no conclusive self like accepted science around yeah. time travel. The only yeah. time travel anyone knows for sure is possible is moving forward one minute per minute into the future, the way that we all do. Yeah. And general right. relativity's idea of traveling really fast means time dilates for you. But those sure. are effectively the same thing. And yeah. moving backwards, while there may be nothing in physics that prevents it, we sure don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I don't know if you um, have studied double slit uh, very much, but there was there was an extension onto it that I thought was fascinating, where they did double slit. They did the same refractive mirrors like they they usually do, and the thing that was interesting, they put the the light sensor very far away so the photons definitely hit uh hit the slit and hit the plate but the sensor was minutes away and it okay. still didn't produce a double slit so there's no way that photon landed and was observed by the time it should have hit the the uh double slit um so Things I'm not that happen. Sure track anybody. Okay. The the point <laughs> Remember, is I was things an art that, major. <laughs> okay. Things that happen in the future, like observations we make mm -hmm. in the future, also cascade backwards. Oh, got it, got it, got it. So the yeah. the observation that you made, which we know through quantum physics affects the outcome, right? Could not have been in effect at the time because the observation was right. made minutes later. But it still yeah. somehow had the same. Still somehow oh, happened. That's weird, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So the the thing that I've uh, that I recently watched on YouTube, I wish I could remember who it was. Um, uh, they were talking about uh, the the kind of growing realization that we've been thinking about time as marching forward minute after minute, like you said. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a very um, uh, this was Newton's view. Um, that there is some like God clock, uh, some universal clock. Well, we know from general relativity that time is relative, um, but we're starting to get more and more hints that our view of time as kind of ticking forward uh, in a consistent way is actually ham hampering us. Um, ah, and, okay. uh, and also kind of looking at how our brains are uniquely set up, not uniquely, are actually set up to view time in that way uh, as marching forward regularly, but they don't have to be. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you could have a different brain that views all this uh, relatively. And um, it's just fascinating to think that this is a product of how our, our brains were kind of like set up in some ways. But mm -hmm. it's not necessary. And so I, I think we may find that 
eventually um, time travel is possible. It's just, we couldn't think of it yet. And it, it, at some point, it's going to be one of those realizations that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. so simple. Like, how did we not think of this before? Um, mm -hmm. I think. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, You're that, like, big me realization. Of, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, yeah. You know, Douglas Adams writes that the, the secret to learning how to fly is to practice falling but miss the and ground. Miss. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I you know that's how I describe orbit to people when I'm uh, achieving orbit, and I have found to a T that is an incredibly unsatisfying answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so accurate, though. You're just it constantly, is, it is. oh, <laughs> yeah, it just like brings up more questions. Like Douglas Adams had that unique ability to to turn a phrase that is just <laughs> universally <laughs> unsatisfying. The more you look at it. The more yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet so catchy, so fucking catchy. yeah. Oh man, so this was a weird one, Chuck. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you came along with me on it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure that I buy it. Uh, you know, I think okay. I'm still more drawn towards the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but I have been shocked to find out that there is enough here for me to elevate <laughs> it up to. Uh, an actual possibility yeah. instead of a, a fun thought experiment, you know, like right, yeah. all of a sudden it's like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't think I can rule this out mm, and that's yeah. wild. And that's kind of the, 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 the root of the whole experience of this podcast, right? It's like, yeah. we keep getting the thing that we thought was buck wild confirmed. Right. Which makes you then look at the next thing. And it's like, well, yeah. this one felt like this was definitely a step too far. Yeah, but now right, all of yeah. a sudden it's like, I don't know, maybe this is real too. It's so weird. do you feel do you weird. feel like you're farther in the deep end than you were before? Oh, hundred percent. Okay, so you're dragging me into the deep end. Who's dragging you? <laughs> I could give you a list of. In fact, I have given you a list of podcasts. Uh, episode, <laughs> They're on the bingo cards. <laughs> yeah. no, um, here's the thing: there is kind of a an almost comically consistent trajectory that people follow when they get well and truly into this topic. You start out as very nuts and bolts. Okay, yeah. UFOs exist, but you know they're probably a U.S. black ops problem. Okay, sure. UFOs exist, and I no longer think they're a U.S. black ops problem. I don't know. I don't know what they are. I'm not prepared to say aliens, but they sure don't seem to be something we've developed. To okay, yeah, I think it's probably aliens. To oh, there's enough here that makes me think that the alien hypothesis doesn't really fit. To it, and you eventually end up in what we kind of dismissively refer to as woo, <laughs> uh, woo yeah, yeah, territory. But woo territory basically it's pretty consistently about the primacy of consciousness in the model of the universe. Like at sure. the end of the day, the thing that drives everything is consciousness. And <laughs> this other that is interacting with us is interacting with us in our flawed understanding of the real world. You know, like, mm. like you've read flatland, that idea of like, yeah. what would a three dimensional thing look like to a two dimensional? We're stuck right. in this, physicalist interpretation of the world uh, right both because that is our lived experience but also because that's how our brains are wired to experience things yeah 
the other that is interacting with us appears to be operating on a different level and they're coming back to talk to us but we're we don't understand the level they're on so it it brings with us as jacques Vallée famously said a a lot of high strangeness that yeah. is not easily explained but if you start looking into it it's not as simple as a ufo is here and there is an alien being on it there's a lot of weird stuff involving yeah. psychic stuff near-death experiences uh consciousness reincarnation i am i am well down that rabbit hole and i have to hold myself back from <laughs> talking about that shit non-stop yeah. oh let me tell God. you man one of these days we're gonna do an episode on uh the raw material law of one yeah all right you've been teasing a, that that's for a, a while. buck wild stuff i'm ready i just i no, don't know I, I don't i don't think, i don't know man <laughs> yeah it is so <laughs> far away from nuts and bolts like anyway I, I try yeah. to keep this more nuts and bolts because I think that's that's where most people hang their hook on. If you can get someone interested yeah, in the topic right. at all, it's because this idea that there's a real thing flying around, interacting with pilots, and that, you know, if it's there, somebody has to be controlling it. And who could that be? That's an idea anybody can follow along with and be fascinated by. The next step beyond that, not everybody's coming along. And I get that. I'm not here to force anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh okay so um so i found the video it's uh by pbs space time oh, great um send me the link i'll put it in the okay, yeah in the show notes. yeah uh, cool um yeah the title is what is your brain's role in creating space and time so like oh Ooh, i don't know i like that yeah i like that yeah yeah it's a good one cool all right well Everybody, uh, about wraps it up for today. And you know, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for coming with us on this weird journey into time <laughs> and space. Uh, you know, Chuck, as always, my wife thanks you for listening to me talk about time travel so she doesn't have to. <laughs> <laughs>